This is Jeremy and Eric with Bucket Talk, powered by Brunt. This week, we have Jason Becker on the show. But before we jump in, Eric, what's been going on? This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. All right, all right. So in my side of the world, which you were a part of this, we celebrated our one-year anniversary at Brunt. So 12 months to the day, September 10th last year was when we shipped our first boots to customers. And it's been one hell of a ride over the past 12 months. It's been like riding a bull on top of a roller coaster. And it was super exciting to ring it in. Did a ton of giveaways on our own page, giving away some Yeti times Brunt Cooler. Some of our big supporters and partners out in the Instagram world and TikTok world also helped us ring it in by doing some stuff like that. We got the whole team together. I spent some time at the office, at the garage, reminiscing over the past year. And the team is now grown from four when we launched the business uh, to 10 folks. And it was all hands on deck for that really is kind of absorbed the past week or two of my life. So nothing too exciting outside <laughs> of work, unfortunately. I don't think I ever congratulated you. Congratulations on your one year. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on, on my side of things, it was kind of interesting. I was very fortunate enough to be asked by Eric if Jenny, my wife, and Olivia, who is my barn manager, if they wanted to do the photo shoot for our first female work boot. And I mean, our family was completely honored. I think it's a milestone for women in the trades to have a female boot. So my wife was super pumped about it. Olivia was super pumped about it. So they sent Ian up, Ian and a photographer. And first off, the photographer's hilarious. He missed the barn by about 100 yards and then just just slammed the brakes on in the middle of the street and then ripped it in reverse because he was about an hour late. <laughs> but it was awesome. Nobody actually showed up to the barn, which was hilarious. I mean, usually we have a million people in and out, but we were fortunate that day, had good weather. And so we got into just kind of modeling some of the stuff, stuff we don't usually do. <laughs> we're definitely not the most photogenic people. Good thing you were only taking pictures of our feet, right? Yep, there you go. One of the cool highlights of the day was the, the photographer. The horses came up to him and were kind of poking at him and prodding him because he, they've never seen it. So he's out just taking pictures and there's horse bite in the side of his head. But other than that, you know, just been kind of working on the farm and getting ready for school, which is coming up. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I saw some of the photos. They're looking good so far. I'm excited to see Ian bringing to life on the site. And uh, thanks for allowing us to come up to your farm and crash a work day and <laughs> take some photos of you guys. Anytime, bud. Today we're here with Jason Becker. Jason Becker is the podcast host of Art Junkies. And uh, welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to bring me on. Awesome. Awesome. So I want to get into where you came from and how you got to where you are now. You took over the show from what, Jimmy McKnight? Yeah, I took over for Jimmy McKnight probably April 2020. So I've been going at it just over a year now. So bring us back to the early days. I want to hear how you got to the point you are now. Okay. I got into welding at the, the age of 15 and never thought I was going to make a career out of it, but I got out of high school, joined the Marine Corps, 
I was in the Marines for four years uh, as a welder. I was planning on reenlistment, but, you know, I was tired of playing in the sandbox, tired of, you know, doing tours over to uh, the Mideast and stuff. So I was like, you know, maybe it's time to get out and start my journey on life, maybe go to college, use this GI Bill and stuff. So I got out of the Marines and got into structural steel iron work. And I did that for about 10 years while I started my associate's degree in construction. Fast forward, I got my associate's degree. And then the first term of my bachelor's degree, I got into teaching welding at the college that I was attending for my degree. And I just, I fell in love with it. And I've been teaching ever since, finished my bachelor's degree. And right before I finished my bachelor's, I was like, I really don't enjoy the paperwork side of this stuff. I don't enjoy the fact that I'm probably going to be sitting in a, a cubicle, you know, working on scheduling and invoices and budgets and all that BS. And it's like, I want to be in the field with my hands or at least still working with my tools and falling in love with teaching there. You know, I was like, maybe I can just get into this teaching gig full time. So I got hired by another school right before I graduated my degree and signed on with them. I've been with uh, Valencia College in Kissimmee, Florida ever since 2016. And it's, it's been a hell of a ride, man. Ed, teaching welding, teaching something that I'm truly passionate about. It's just Amazing. You know, and that's kind of what drives me to get out of bed in the morning. Every morning, I don't dread going to work. I get up, I'm excited. And, uh, you know, I get to pass that knowledge off to the next generation. And it's really cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, you have something in common. I'm actually on the GI Bill now, which has been a huge blessing to me. It's afforded me the opportunity to do things that I never, A, could have afforded or B, never really stuck with. And so it's opened up a whole lot of doors I never knew existed. So when you said you were 15, when you started welding, was that your goal going into the Marine Corps was to be a welder or did you have other trades presented to you and you just decided that that was going to be your passion? No, I remember you, I think you were enlisted in the Coast Guard. I don't know if they do the same thing, but so with the Marines and the Army, they pretty much just guarantee you your field. So I was guaranteed something in the 1300 field. 1300 is engineering. I was able to choose two MOSs or military occupational specialties and they could guarantee me one. It turns out that the staff NCOIC of my recruiting depot there, he knew the guy that passed out jobs right outside Camp Devil Dog and everything once you get to Marine combat training. So he's like, you pick two of these jobs and I will guarantee you one. And yep. I wanted to go infantry originally, but I'm my mother's only natural born child. So I promised her that I won't do infantry. So combat engineer was the closest thing I could get to being in the infantry without breaking the promise to my mother. <laughs> and they'd just given up the last spot of combat engineering and I was like, all right, screw it. I can just go welding. I think that'll be fun. You know, I've, it's something I'm already used to. So I should be able to breeze through MOS school and just get a little bit more in depth into it. I just kind of, I've never got out of welding. You know, it's just something that's, it's continual growth for me. That's actually funny. So a combat engineer is destroying things and being a welder is putting them back together. I think that's hysterical. Yeah. Structural welding. Was that way up high, high steel or what kind of work was that? Well, I kind of got into structural steel by accident. And it was a funny story. I answered an article in the, the newspaper, you know, like classified ads back in 2005 when I got out. That's how most people still found a job was through like the classified section. And somebody was looking for, you know, somebody to come in and, and do some aluminum handrails using aluminum MIG. And I was like, well, heck, you know, I can do aluminum MIG. But the job's not too close, but it, it sounds like a pretty decent job. So let me go check it out. I got hired on the first day and I got put on doing ornamental handrails for these stair sections out at a place called Baldwin Park, which is actually a decommissioned Navy base here in Florida. And so I was putting up these stairs, we're welding up the landings. It was steel stairs and landings, and then the aluminum all finished ornamental handrail and stuff. So I did that for a while. We got caught up on a schedule and went back into work and uh, told the boss, I was like, hey, you know, we got all the stairs and 
and handrails and everything hung up. What are we going to do tomorrow? Cause you guys don't have the stairs built. I don't want to go sit at the house. He's like, Oh, go out with our other team, you know, meet him over at this address tomorrow. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I get out there. They're not doing stairs and handrails. They're hanging I beams and bar joists and decking. And it was just like a whole new world to me. I had no idea what structural steel iron work was. And so I just followed one of the guys up the ladder, you know, just climb up the ladder, get on the bar joist and the I beams. And I'm walking around. They're like, what the hell are you doing? You know, because I'd never done it before. I was just following the guy in front of me. I was like, all right, let's go. This is where the work's at. We're going to go up here. And it was probably only like 40, 45 feet. It was some big kind of like um, storefront areas. You know, they're about three stories tall. So it was only about 30, 35 feet, you know, up on top of the roof. And I just, I was like, man, this is, this is pretty neat. You know, you get a pretty cool view up here. Everything's a little bit different. And I started getting into helping them out doing I-beams and bar joists and decking and, you know, framing steel buildings and all that stuff. And, you know, doing the stairs. And when I wasn't doing the stairs, I'd be back out with the ironwork crew. And I, I did that for about a year with the company. It wasn't the safest working environment, not because of the heights. There's a lot of drugs and alcohol involved and it. That just wasn't my scene. And I was like, you know, I got to get out of here. It's a little sketchy. The more I worked there, the more I understood, you know, this isn't a place where it's going to allow me to grow as a person. I'm constantly looking for new challenges and that just wasn't the space for me, you know? So I hired on to another company ran by a, a group of South Africans and they did pre-manufactured metal buildings. They were over here on a work visa, started up their own company. They're now American citizens. I currently do CWI work for them off and on, but I started off with their company, you know, just basically as a welder, doing more structural steel with them, putting up, you know, pre-manufactured metal buildings, doing the roof siding and all that stuff, running a crew. I did that for about three years before I signed on to the Iron Workers Union 808 out of Orlando, Florida. And then I did that while I was still attending school. And that's right about the time that I got into teaching was 2014, but I was still doing structural steel at the time. Sounds like long hours. It was my first week. You know, they're like, okay, we work eight hour days. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, Monday through Friday, eight hours, no problem. No big deal. Well, by about Wednesday, they're like, hey, we're switching over to six tens. And I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and they're like, we're doing uh, 10 hours a day for the next, you know, six days, Monday through Saturday. I was like, okay, cool. Wow. Well, then Friday, they're like, okay, now we're on 7-12s. And then so I started doing the math and I was like, that's a lot of hours, man. Okay, whatever. You know, the money was good. I got overtime after eight hours. So everything Saturday and Sunday was all overtime. So I was making like ridiculous money, still going to school. I was going to apprenticeship school, you know, because I was an apprentice Mondays and Wednesdays. And then Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, I was working on my bachelor's degree at night, either online or on campus. And I did that for about four or five months. And it was like, I was just a zombie, man. I would leave the house in the morning and it's pitch black outside. And then I would come home at night and it's pitch black outside. Get about four or five hours of sleep, get up and do it again the next day. And did that for months on end. That's crazy. That sounds intense. Where did you picture your career going at that point versus where you are now? Is it similar place or completely, you know, had no clue, couldn't picture it going here, or maybe this was a little bit outside of where you thought I was going to end up. Yeah, I'm not anywhere near I thought I was going to be. I figured I was going to get this degree in construction management and I was going to be out on the job sites and pushing work and working alongside people and meet schedule and stuff like that. If you would have told me back when I was 15 or heck, even when I was like 20, that I was going to be in teaching welding and become a welding instructor, I would have laughed at you because I never thought that was a possibility for me. And I, I didn't think that I would get into teaching and love teaching as much as I do. And yeah, yeah, I'm just probably completely, completely not where I thought I was going to be, but I'm glad that I'm here. I I really enjoy the path that I've taken. 
So you're teaching all these young kids how to weld. What's one of your biggest takeaways? What are you teaching kids? Because a trade's a trade. You learn it, you progress, and you do well if that's what you want to do. But what's one of the biggest values you want to take away from it? I think just trying to instill work ethics, you know, and I try to do that by example, you know, be where you're supposed to be when you say you're going to be there. If you're supposed to be there at seven o'clock in the morning, be there at 645, do extra. And, and this applies to all the different trades and like all the different instructors, you know, they face their challenges with it too. Be there on time, be there every day. If you come to a point where you're at a standstill and you need the instructor's help, or, you know, you're just waiting for a piece of metal to cool off or something, be productive, you know, grab a broom, sweep up, maybe start prepping material for the next thing you're going to start working on. Just keep moving, you know, don't sit down, don't play on your phone, don't slack off, don't just disappear for 15, 20 minutes, especially if you're paying for an education, you're paying for somebody to teach you a set of skills that you're going to turn into a career and support your family, support yourself, put in 110% effort. I mean, you're paying 100% tuition, you know, take advantage of every single minute that you have at that school, in that lab, in that classroom, under your mentor, or, you know, even if it's an apprenticeship and it's free, if you're like, I know a lot of the unions, they do free apprenticeships as part of their program. Show up early, stay late, put in all the hours that you can. It's just going to pay dividends when you get done. You're going to be so much further ahead than your counterparts that go in there and just kind of slack off. It's good to hear that too, because there's a lot of guys out there that preach, you know, hard work gets you more work. And it's still good to hear that there's people out there that are pushing good work ethic. Do it for yourself. Don't do it for others. It did get me more work, but you know what? More work got me more experience, more experience, got me more skills. And that was one of the biggest takeaways is if you better yourself in your trade, your craft, uh, it's going to pay dividends. Uh, the lazy guy is, you know, essentially going to be the one that falls behind. Yeah. He got out of a job. Great. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be the one who wins. Exactly. That's a good message for the youth is work hard and, you know, grind it out. I like to say do it when you're younger because you, you have less responsibilities and, and less obligations. So it's nice to not have to worry about being late for dinner, or <laughs> being late for a recital. And the hopes is that you could be in a more stable position when you get to those places because you put in the work up front. Yeah. And I mean, hard work's just going to breed opportunities, too. Yeah, you know, like everything that I've done, I, I think it's based off of my work ethics and efforts that I put forward and people see something in you and they give you an opportunity. Just like my professor that, you know, he's seen, I showed up to class every day. I was there early. I turned in all my assignments on time. I did everything that I was supposed to. He saw enough in me to say, hey, you know, I, I think you'd be a really good fit for this position over here with the college. And he like yeah. hired me on while I was a student to go work. That leaned into the job that I have now, everywhere I go, I get recommended for things and new opportunities present themselves based off of what others see in me. And I try to pay that forward. You know, those same types of, of skills and, and qualities in somebody, you know, I try to present them different opportunities that'll put them on a better path. Right. Makes total sense. After all this experience and all these unexpected turns that your career's taken, what's one thing you know now that you wish you knew when you were and the earlier side of your career, just getting started figuring things out. Oh man, probably the same thing we just talked about. Like I, I probably would have went back to 15 year old me and, and kicked myself in the butt and said, you know, Hey, <laughs> get back in the welding booth, pay attention, put forth more effort. It's going to pay off in the long run. That'd probably be the one thing that I would tell myself is like, just keep pushing, keep hustling. Don't back off and, and don't slack off. Don't relax. You know, you can rest when you're dead kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. What's one of the biggest things that you're facing right now? One of the biggest challenges, whether it being a teacher, whether it's a home life balance, what's one of the biggest challenges you're facing right now? I would say right now, my biggest challenge right before COVID took off last year, 
I got promoted to manager of the welding program. So I taught my last cohort last year and I've had to hire my replacements. So I'm in the process of skilling up and kind of making sure that my instructors are on track doing what they're doing. They see the same vision for the program that I set up. We just set up a new program at the school. I'm working full-time there. I run the Arc Junkies podcast in my spare time. I still do weld work on the side. I've got a wife and kids. I'm the chairman for the Central Florida section of the American Welding Society. I'm actively involved in Freemasons. I'm also actively involved with Scouts because my son just crossed over last January from Cub Scouts to Boy Scouts. So I'm actively involved with that. So I think work life, work life balance, hobby <laughs> balance, trying to make sure everything gets equal attention and equal effort and not slacking off in any one of the areas. So trying to squeeze like 30 hours into a 24 hour day has been my biggest challenge probably for the past couple of years. Well, yeah. I mean, as you get older, you realize how important time management is and the ability to rest when you need to. You're probably compartmentalizing a lot of things too, because you come home from a hard day and you got to deal with, you know, whatever Boy Scouts or what have you. And you got to stay a little mentally sharp there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the hard part. I think the biggest thing that's helped out is like physically taking care of myself, trying to find time to get to the gym, stay away from crap foods, you know, like give my body the best fuel, take all the vitamins I'm supposed to, you know, just, you got to take care of your body. The biggest tool that you have is your body. And, you know, a lot of people, especially in construction, you guys see it. I mean, I used to live life off of uh, Monster Energy drinks, Red Bull, and the roller grill at 7-Eleven. <laughs> it takes a hell of a toll on your body, you know, when you're putting 16, 18 hours of work. So, you know, just kind of finding that balance as well, like keeping your body fit and healthy. That's going to keep your mind going. And, you know, you can be able to take on more things without getting, you know, exhausted so easily. It sounds like you made a big change when you were grinding those long hours and living that lifestyle. You, you made a big switch, basically, and, and kind of redded the ship. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. You kind of nailed the one question we always like to ask, but I guess we'll leave that out. Obviously we always ask, what's the number one tool you rely on to do your job? Obviously you know, your body is number one, but in, in terms of for tools from a work perspective, anything that stands out in your mind as the one thing you couldn't live without or couldn't get your job done with? It honestly depends on, you know, which hat I'm wearing at the time. If I'm doing welding work and stuff like that, my tape measure, I think that's probably the number one tool that I use all the time. I always have tape measure, a piece of soapstone and a Sharpie on me at all times when I'm doing anything related to welding. As it comes to like running the podcast or running the welding program, I'd say my cell phone is probably my number one, not for entertainment purposes, not to be scrolling social media and watching YouTube videos, but I've got a calendar on there. I've got reminders set up, all this stuff, you know, just so I can stay on track and stay focused and everything. Uh, setting different alarms for certain parts of the day to remember to do things, tracking email, you know, exchanging emails back and forth, all the logistics, everything's pretty much taking place on my computer because I'm back and forth to various locations all the time. So that's kind of like my go-to tool. Yep. Yep. It's funny. Uh, back to the first two tools, the tape and the soapstone. I don't know how many pieces of soapstone I've lost in my life. Like, I don't think I've ever finished a piece of soapstone. And then, dryer. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then secondly, uh, one of the biggest challenges for kids these days is being able to read a tape measure. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Fractions are a thing of the past. That's actually one of the first things we cover is day one of welding class. As soon as they come in the program, we obviously cover the syllabus and, you know, the course calendar. Here's all the stuff you're going to be learning. Get through welding safety. And then the first question I ask is, how many of y'all know how to read a tape measure? And I'll get a C of hands and I say, all right, perfect. And then I give them a test. And then right after <laughs> the test, I send them on break and I grade everything. And as soon as they come back in, I was like, all right, y'all lied to me. 
you know, out of the 13 kids in this room, there's probably about three all that know actually how to read a tape and you still didn't get them all right. So step one here, you know, I pass out rulers and I've got a dry erase board with a permanent 16 graduations of the one inch. And we start covering all the fractions right then and there. And yeah. as we go through the program, we talk about, you know, adding, multiplying, dividing fractions, different tools you can use because I'm not big on pencil and paper. I always second guess myself. So I downloaded the Construction Master Pro, which is a calculator that I carried in my pocket forever until they came out with an app for it. Now I show the students, here's how you use your calculator to figure out your work. Everything that you do is going to revolve around measurements. So don't try and you know, just fake your way through. If you really don't understand how to read a tape measure, get with me one-on-one. We'll walk around the entire building. And we'll just measure stuff for like two hours a day. Just measure random things. Okay, how thick is you know that 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 plate on that table? How tall is that leg? How wide is that door jam? Get me to a one sixteenth fractional resolution. You know, get me to a sixteenth tolerance, and we just start building on that because it's one of the most important things you're going to do. Everything we do, whether it's welding or construction, carpentry, I mean, it's all going to rely on measurements. You know, you can't just put something in a, in a spot and be like, eh, "It looks good there." No, I mean, there's measurements and dimensions on the print that you have to hit. And you're not one of the first people to say it either. I mean, we had a guy on the podcast who's a framer, Tim Euler, and he was talking about how the, the number one tool in his tool belt was exactly that, is construction calculator. You're dealing with angles, your degrees, everything, right? Well, I guess the stigma with the trades is they're dumb and they don't know what they're doing. But I, I mean, the amount of math and reasoning skills that you need to have to be able to do it. And it's learned. You don't have to jump in knowing exactly what's going on. But as you get more experience and as you learn, you'll definitely become proficient in that. Yeah. That's awesome. So I want to go into your podcast. How did you get involved with that? Actually, it was right during COVID, right around, I think, mid-March. And I was out for an evening jogger and then Jimmy called me up. I had met him a couple of times. We met up at Fabtech and hung out. We did an event at South Coast Welding Academy prior to that. You know, so we'd, we'd become friends. We would text and Instagram message back and forth all the time. And he's like, hey, man, I'm getting out of welding and I'm going to give up the podcast. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks because I was an avid listener of the podcast before right. I even met him in person. And, you know, before we became friends. And so the funny thing was, he's like, yeah, I need to find somebody to take over the podcast. So I was like, you know, okay, I can call around, ask a couple people and, you know, see if anybody's interested. Let me see if I can think of some people that I think would be a good host. And he's like, no, dumbass, I want you to do it. And I think he completely <laughs> caught me off guard. And I was like, man, I don't know anything about podcasts and I don't know anything about audio recording. I I'll see there. I was like, man, I got to think about this one for a little bit. So I hemmed and hawed and thought about it and kind of wrote out some things. It took me about two weeks. And finally I called him up and I was like, all right, man, I'll do it. Just tell me what I need to do. And he gave me a list of equipment, you know, good, better, best. And I kind of bought the best that I could afford at the time. We did an episode together and he kind of walked me through it via Zoom, how to record the podcast. And then once we're done, he did a screen share, showed me how to edit and upload everything to the hosting service. And he's like, all right, man, good luck. And I was like, oh shit, I thought we were going to like co-host for a couple of weeks, you know, a couple <laughs> episodes. And nope, it was like trial by fire, man. And training uh, wheels off. See yeah, you later. Training wheels are off. Here you go, man. Right down the hill. No safety protection, no helmet, no, no knee pads, nothing. Just get after it. It's funny being in the podcasting spaces because I'm a new podcaster by today's standards. And it's interesting to be able to talk with other podcasters. And it's just interesting to hear everybody's story and how they came up. Yeah. It's been fun so far. I did a lot of like 
videos with weld.com and I, I worked with yeah. the, the camera guy, Todd Clouser over there, like quite a bit. And he's like a marketing guru. I mean, that's kind of his background and he's learned the welding industry making videos for weld.com. And yep. one of the things I learned from him was if you're going to run something, you got to be consistent. So I was like, okay, I need to come up with a consistent release date and, you know, a consistent release time and just make sure that I'm, you know, sticking to that schedule because once they start consuming your content, then they start expecting it. You know, it's, it. you say yeah. you're going to release it on, you know, every Monday, you need to have an episode out every Monday. And that's <laughs> one thing I've stuck to is like putting out fresh content every week, you know, just yeah. to, you know, keep getting new listeners and everything, get more information out there, build traction. But not only that, like learn the systems that I'm using, because the more episodes I crank out, the more editing I have to do, the more uploading I have to do, you know, the more marketing and stuff that I have to do, the more sharing I have to do. So it keeps me constantly engaged with it. Yep. I mean, just lining up the schedules is one of the hardest things. We have two hosts on this podcast plus the guest, and it's like trying to align all three. And then you have time zones and everything. It's always a challenge. Then you got to do that for the whole year, you know, week after week and, and yeah. line them up. It's crazy. Time zones are the hardest part, man. I've, I've <laughs> people, like when I was doing East Coast, West Coast, Mountain Standard Time and all this stuff. And then I had a, a podcast with my buddy Clay Chesson from uh, Australia. They've got like five different time zones just on that continent alone. So trying to figure out exactly where he's at, at what time it is. Oh, man, it was it was throwing me for a loop. I think we ended up doing like nine or something on a Sunday morning. And I think it was like, you know, kind of late where he was at. I can't even remember, but it was, it was like ridiculous trying to line that one up. I remember that one specifically. It was really hard to get the time zones and the times and everything where he was off work and I was off work and neither one of us were sleeping, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. It's rewarding. The whole thing is fun and I enjoy doing what I'm doing. It's just one more thing that, you know, is all encompassing. So, you know, I got to find time to do this stuff, but at the end of the day, I do enjoy doing the podcast. We have a fair amount of listeners consume our podcast and they like it. I've had people drive by the shop when we were first starting out and they're yelling out the window that they like the podcast. I was like, holy cow, you know? Oh, that's cool. I, yeah. I never thought I would be that person. You know what I mean? And, and I would just keep at it and Jeremy, you always been that guy, dude. <laughs> I was the one hanging out the window before. <laughs> so outside of everything, what do you do to unwind? Those six of those 30 hours back in your day yeah, you know, for, for free like time. If I don't have anything planned or going on, it depends. You know, if the weather's nice enough, hunting, fishing, whatever's in season. And if nothing else is going on, if I can completely unwind, I'll play a little bit of PlayStation. But that's it's very, very few and far between. Like I haven't picked up a controller since... Christmas break. Wow. wow. Yep. Yep. Any specific hunts or any times of the year you're going out or is it just whenever you can within shooting season? If I got time off, it just depends on what's in season. So, you know, if it's like springtime, you know, I want to get out and do some turkey hunting. My buddy just got a place up in Georgia. So I was working with him trying to set it up for deer season and stuff like that. Plus they got feral hog, whatever, whatever time of the year it is, you know, if something's open, you know, and I've got the time to go do it, I want to get out and enjoy the wilderness or maybe go down to the shooting range or the archery range, anything oh, so like that. Do, so you do both. You're a bow hunter and you shoot? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's a good time. A lot of the guys, they're fly fishermen and what have you. I'm up in Maine. 
And I like fishing. I haven't gone out hunting yet, but yeah, I look forward to doing so. Jeremy's been hunting a lot of trees on his property with with his guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been nice. I moved from Massachusetts to Maine and now I'm legally allowed to shoot on my property. So it's been fun for the neighbors. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, this has been a, a pleasure to interview you. I mean, you're a, a God amongst men. I mean, I enjoy your podcast. I consume it. It's one of the ones out there that's good for the trades. I know it's weld specific, but you do have a whole bunch of good nuggets that you put in there. Like I listened to the number one tool and that resonates. You know, a lot of guys get into the trade and, you know, they they party and try to get through the day. And you were talking about Motrin and energy drinks. I mean, that completely resonated with me. As you get older, you realize that you got to shift or you should shift your ideals to what it is. I mean, now I got two young ones and you're you're sitting there going, uh, well, I kind of want to be around, you know, longer than 50 years old. So yeah. <laughs> in the beginning, it's for the love of the trade and towards the middle, it's self-preservation and kind of balancing both, you know? Mm-hmm. I thank you for being on the podcast and I want to give you a little spot. If you have any mentions, please take the time. Yeah, I'll be up at uh, FabTech, I think the 12th to the 17th up there in Chicago. Illinois. So if anybody's planning on going to FabTech, I've got a couple of interviews lined up uh, with Nate Bowman, Rush Kane, also known as Kane Kid, Sean Flotman, aka Dabs Wellington, who you guys have had on the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know Ray Ripple's going to be there, who you guys have also had on the show. But yeah, I'll be up there yep. for those four days, hanging out, chilling. I've got a couple of events after hours. You can hit me up on Instagram at Arc Junkies Podcast. You can find the Arc Junkies Podcast wherever you know podcasts are downloadable whether it's Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, you know, wherever. It's, it's pretty much anywhere you can download a podcast is out there. It's a good <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. And like I said, thank you for being on. And it, it was a pleasure to dive deep into the welding trade again. Oh, yeah. um, it's always my favorite. So thank you for being on the show. Oh, well, thanks for the invite. I had a good time. <laughs>